A former Bethesda game director had a lot to say in a recent interview from what led to the disastrous launch of Fallout 76 to what would have made Starfield a better game and to what we might expect to see in Elder Scrolls 6, even the reasons why they pushed out the Elder Scrolls 6 trailer back in 2018. I found it to be very insightful into why Starfield turned out the way that it did, but also a glimpse into why Bethesda games are the way that they are, which I believe is a window into what Elder Scrolls 6 might end up looking like. Now, I put all of the good info right here at the beginning of the video, sort of in the state of a monologue, and then I discuss it with the live audience. If you like this kind of content, be sure to hit subscribe and the bell button. That way you do not miss the shows. So an ex-Bethesda dev, the Skyrim game director, Bruce, uh, or lead designer, I'm sorry, he was the lead designer on Skyrim, Bruce Nesmith, he sat down for an interview with MinMax. Now, MinMax is a video game podcast on gaming. It's primarily focused on their Patreon, but the full interview with Nesmith is on their YouTube if you would like to watch it. MinMax is spelled with two N's. The interview covered a lot. It came out to an hour and four. 40 minutes, and I wanted to highlight three big themes or takeaways from the interview. The first thing is that Starfield is too big. Uh, he speaks to the size, where the idea of having 100 star systems even came from, why exploration didn't necessarily come through. Second, he has comments about Elder Scrolls 6. He confirms something that I have said for years about the initial Elder Scrolls 6 trailer, but he also compares choices in Bethesda games to games like Baldur's Gate 3 and how that game turned out. I believe we get a glimpse into both why Starfield is the way that it is, but also where the Elder Scrolls 6 might land. Lastly, he has comments about Fallout 76 and Hubris. The push for multiplayer is a theme that we keep hearing from developers, and it was certainly something they were dealing with with Fallout 76. It happened with Redfall. It happened with even the guys that were shopping Avowed around admitted that including multiplayer was a big deal. They have since not done that, but that was a part of the dialogue around games back then, and even today, there's a push for multiplayer and live service. And it was part of what led to Fallout 76. So, first up, was Starfield too big? Like, does the size of the game matter? When Todd Howard revealed that Starfield would have thousands of planets and 100 star systems, many gamers said that that would be too large. I remember defending the choice, saying that I thought it sounded great. I'm coming from No Man's Sky and thinking, that sounds fantastic. Well, an ex-developer who worked at Bethesda recently touched on the subject. Bruce Nesmith was the lead designer on Skyrim, and he was there at the early stages of Starfield. And in an interview with MinMax, he spoke about Starfield being better if it were smaller. He said the following, There was a lot of discussion about the scope of the game. At one point I said, I bet this game would be a lot better if we restricted ourselves to about two dozen solar systems. So it seems even before the public weighed in on the topic, it was a point of discussion at Bethesda. And PC Gamer reporting on this portion of the interview pointed out in their own article, they agreed with that principle. There were many reviewers that touched on this and PC Gamer had the following to say. As PC Gamer's Fraser Brown pointed out a while back, there's just not much to see in Starfield outside of its busy quest-filled hubs. Fast travel makes it feel small, but even when you do get to walk around for hours, it's rare that you'll find something you haven't seen countless other times. Another dead moon, another nickel deposit, another pirate base. And 
During the formation of the game, it seems not only did Todd Howard pull the 100 Star Systems number kind of out of thin air, but also they knew going in that most of the activity in the game would center around a small percentage of those 1,000 planets. From the interview, Nesmith said the following, Todd pretty much pulled the number 100 for the number of star systems out of thin air, but the more we went on, the more it was like, okay, so the core activity all takes place in these two dozen of the settled systems region, and the rest of it's open space. Now, this really resonates with a lot of the criticism of the game, but it also resonates with what PC Gamer said. My own personal opinion on this is mixed. At one level, I actually agree with what he's saying. Since so much of the activity is going to take place on two dozen planets, maybe just focus on those. You don't need all those other planets. Make them handcrafted, make them polished, make them huge. But on the other hand, I do get the appeal of using procedural technology, making a vast and somewhat realistic universe. So I could see people disagreeing on this press premise of like, well, smaller would have been better because it would have been a very different type of space exploration RPG. I could also see gamers agreeing with him who sort of felt like the size of Starfield didn't really benefit it, but it hurt the game. Nesmith seems to think that there were sort of trade-offs that hurt exploration. He said the following, when you're also trying to do build your own spacecraft, which they didn't have to do, once they're doing all that quest work and all the variety of plants and animals, you gotta make hard choices. I think some of the exploration stuff didn't come through as well as it could have. Now, this I do have to agree with. The way the game was set up with the abundance of loading screens and the way that you have to use fast travel, it just really hurt the sense of exploration. And it honestly discouraged it for me and many other players. They were just like, yeah, I don't really want to explore. Even some of the more positive reviews said they had a better time once they stopped exploring and once they just focused on the main quest. Again, not everybody's going to agree with this, and that's fine. But I think he's touching on something that can be plainly seen in the final product of Starfield. Even PC Gamer feels that Nesmith may have helped influence Starfield in a better direction. PC Gamer said the following, I can't help but wonder if we would have wound up with a better game if Nesmith's ideas had caught on. It makes me think about the Outer Wilds. That game has a solar system and planets that are proportionately small, but it captures the wonder of space exploration fantastically. Now, this obviously rings a bit like a woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? Oh, well, we would have done this, or we could have done that, right? Because ultimately, the early trajectories and decisions set the course for where Starfield ended up. This is the game we got, right? This is it. And many people are enjoying it. A lot of us just felt disappointed with a lot of the things that came out in this interview. Because maybe, just maybe, the reverberations of Nesmith's influence, if they were still present, you know, at Bethesda, maybe they're there like a remnant. And hopefully, lessons learned from Starfield will help the next big game, which we know is Elder Scrolls VI. So, what do we know about Elder Scrolls 6? He actually talks about it in this interview, and uh, some of this is really, really affirming to things I've said for a very long time. I've been kind of irritated with how they have handled this game. 
The truth behind why we got an Elder Scrolls 6 trailer in 2018 is not surprising to some of us. I've said for years that the gaming community and the video game media made it impossible for Bethesda to talk about any of their new games. Every interview managed to always sneak in the question, are you making Elder Scrolls 6? You know, the shadow of Skyrim was stretching so far that even an interview about Doom would somehow end up asking about the Elder Scrolls 6. Well, the recent interview with former Bethesda dev gives a clear answer on why they announced Elder Scrolls 6 in 2018. Yes, it was 2018. It has been that long. It's 2023, five years ago. I know, it makes us very sad because that's basically a dev cycle. And there's probably another five or six years before we even get to play the Elder Scrolls 6. But when Bruce Nesmith discussed this, his time at Bethesda with MinMax, he gave more than just insight into the Elder Scrolls 6 trailer. He gave insight into what Elder Scrolls 6 might look like in comparison to something like Baldur's Gate 3. Now, as a reminder, Nesmith was the design lead on Skyrim, so his input on this is a great window into where Elder Scrolls 6 may end up. So, what did he say? The first thing he said, and I'm a big fan of him saying this because I think it's spot on, is about the gaming community, the gaming industry. He says, The company took years of hits for not talking about The Elder Scrolls Six. I mean, years of hits. Because Todd's opinion, one which I share, by the way, is that the video game industry has short memories. This is exactly what I want to say to people who want developers and publishers to talk about games well before they're even close to being ready. We spent years hearing about games too early, and then we would get mad when the game gets delayed, or it launches and it's clearly not ready for launch. And then, when the latest round of showcases have moved away from that, they're more talking about games that are just around the corner, well, everybody complains. Where are the games? People ask. 2023 is one of the best years in gaming that we've had in over a decade, and folks are still complaining about State of Plays or the latest Xbox Partner Preview. Now, he continues this thought, and I think this is why we are seeing changes to how games are being marketed. He said the following, Those companies that start touting their games years ahead of time, actually, they screw themselves. The best time to start talking about it is six months before release. I could not agree more. Just yesterday, both before and after the Xbox Partner Preview, I was saying that I prefer this. I much prefer smaller showcases or state of plays or partner previews or developer directs, whatever you want to call them. Just talk about what's coming in the next 6 to maybe 12 months. I don't need to see a cinematic trailer for a game I won't touch for 5 to 6 or 8 years. It doesn't serve a purpose. And remember, The Elder Scrolls 6 trailer released five years ago. That's an entire dev cycle, and all we have is a trailer. And I remember when the trailer released, I said they only did this because they literally couldn't talk about any of their games or anything else without somebody asking about The Elder Scrolls 6. Well, it turns out that's exactly what happened. According to Nesmith in this interview, he said the following... Only the fact that everybody was, you know, the pitchforks and torches were out was what got Todd to say, yes, we're going to do Elder Scrolls 6. I promise you it's for real. It'll happen. But I'm betting you won't hear much in the way of details until a good six months before release. So Todd basically finally confirmed that the game was going to happen because people would not shut up about it. And what did we get? 
we got a trailer and nothing for five years. This is why the game's media and the gaming community need to adjust their expectations when it comes to marketing. Nesmith thinks that you're not going to hear about The Elder Scrolls Six until a good six months before release. And I hope he's right. Showing us something now serves no purpose. It doesn't serve anything. More than likely, you're going to show us something that won't even be close to what the game is in five or six years. You gave us a trailer. You gave us like a title screen for Elder Scrolls Six. That's all we need. Okay, we know it exists. Now, the other thing he touched on has to do with Baldur's Gate 3 and why I think he's already giving us a glimpse into how the Elder Scrolls 6 will turn out. He thinks that Baldur's Gate 3 is, quote, a triumph of trying to make the tabletop experience actually happen right there in the computer. But when considering Bethesda games, he said the following. The games we're making were so big, we had to take the approach of, well, everybody's got to be able to do this at some point. We can't lock off content that way. So he goes further. What he's doing is he's contrasting this against Baldur's Gate 3. He's arguing that the decisions in Baldur's Gate 3 are more meaningful. He says... You can see it in our games. You can get to be the heads of all the guilds. You can get to be friends with all the companions. You can go to all the places. Nothing is off limits. But when you play Baldur's Gate 3, you get the impression, rightly so, that this decision I'm about to make will close off parts of the game and open up others. It's meaningful. That means something. This is one of the reasons I think that Baldur's Gate 3 has received so much praise. And it's one of the reasons players have traditionally loved Skyrim, But there's often people who criticize the fact that your choices don't ultimately matter in that game. But as he concludes this thought, I think he gives us a glimpse into why Starfield is built the way that it is. And also, a potential view of what Elder Scrolls 6 will be like. Bethesda is in the business of making games that people would play for hundreds of hours. And if you cut off 50% of your game... They're not going to play for hundreds of hours now. They're only going to get 50 hours they can play because you cut off half of it. You've got benefit for that in Baldur's Gate 3. The benefit I just talked about. Every decision feels highly meaningful, whereas very few of the decisions in Bethesda games feel highly meaningful. So he's admitting that most of the decisions that you make in their games are just not highly meaningful. And that's because of their philosophy of you need to be able to do everything. We don't want to close off anything to any player. And if you catch it, he basically says that their games are designed for you to play for hundreds of hours. Angry Joe touched on this in his review of Starfield. It really feels like much of Starfield is built to waste a lot of your time to drag things out. Well, according to Nesmith... That may be part of the design philosophy, which means Elder Scrolls 6 could end up being very much in this vein. Huge, sort of drawn-out game, hundreds of hours of gameplay, and you can do everything. No true meaningful decisions, but, you know, be in every guild. You can do every quest. Now, there's pros and cons to this. Some players will bristle at the idea of content being closed off to them if they choose a certain path, while others celebrate that kind of game. They think that's what makes a game great so there is two ways of looking at this if you build a game the size of starfield or elder scroll 6 ends up being a really really huge game and there are no meaningful choices that absolutely like close off elements of the game to you some people would think that's great i don't want to have anything left off the table i want to do everything i want to see everything others might look at that and say It's just sort of a buffet. It's just this massive, huge game. It takes forever. Nothing I do really feels like it impacts anything. 
I think there's room for disagreement here. It really comes down to your preferences. It also comes down to the preferences of the dev. What do they want to build? What do they want to make? When it comes to the Elder Scrolls 6 and the Bethesda philosophy, according to a former dev, I would not expect much to change, which for some is exactly what they want, but for others, it's going to feel somewhat stuck in the past. But what did he have to say about Fallout 76? Because Fallout 76 is commonly debated. A lot of people talk about Fallout 76. So what led to the disastrous launch of Fallout 76? It's sort of been years since the game has come out, and it's really turned things around, but it's not really remembered as one of Bethesda's greatest games. It's not just remembered as one of their worst games. It's honestly remembered as one of the worst game launches in gaming. We typically refer to things like Cyberpunk or Fallout 76 or even No Man's Sky as being some of the more disappointing or bad game launches. Bruce Nesmith, the former Bethesda game director, was incredibly frank about this in an interview with MinMax. You can look up the interview. It's about an hour and 40 minutes long. You can go to MinMax's YouTube channel. The full interview is there. He speaks about a lot, but specifically Fallout 76, he had some very interesting things to say. Now, a lot of what I'm going to say that he refers to It might sound familiar. You might suddenly feel like you're having deja vu. Maybe you've heard this before, like the term Bioware magic. And when we learned about what happened to Anthem, the idea that they believed everything would kind of come together at the end, right? Bioware magic. We recently learned that's not unique to Bioware. The term arcane magic was used. At Arcane, leadership thought that Redfall was all going to come together in the end. Once Final Art was implemented and the game launched, it was really going to jump through the Ring of Fire and be an amazing game. Well, we all know how Redfall turned out, and we all know how long Anthem lasted. Well, it seems this is a common sickness among developers, the sickness of hubris or overconfidence. Nesmith didn't really hold back in admitting that this is what happened with Fallout 76. His lengthy answer, I believe, is very telling. He said the following, To a certain extent, our own hubris caught up with us. We had so many, not just successes, but literal Game of the Years. Industry-wide accepted Game of the Years. Not just in our own heads, or in two little magazines over there, but everybody is saying this is a Game of the Year. We started to talk ourselves into the fact that we were infallible. There was nothing we couldn't do, and clearly that's wrong. Now, you can almost sense this in the marketing. If you go back and you watch the marketing for Fallout 76, there's kind of a swagger, right? Yeah, we're Bethesda. This is Fallout, you know, 16 times the detail. It just works. And the interesting thing about this is the push for multiplayer. Unlike what we saw with Redfall, that pushed to multiplayer, right? Zenimax wanted a multiplayer game, and the devs were like, we don't really know if we want to do a multiplayer game. We don't know if we're equipped. And then there was a recent documentary, The Makers of Avowed, that game's not out yet, they admitted that when they were shopping the game around for publishing, that including multiplayer was a bit of a good buzzword to include. Well, this time, The push for multiplayer came from the players. According to IGN, Nesmith said it was the players asking for multiplayer game that led Bethesda director and executive producer Todd Howard and the team to create Fallout 76 over any influence from executives. So, 
you know, we, we can blame the players this time, right? Because this wasn't some executive that said, hey, we need multiplayer. We need a game that's going to last. We, you know, we want to get those microtransactions. And this was a player thing. And really, can you blame the players? We all loved Skyrim. We all wanted to play that with our buddies. I remember playing Skyrim and being in a party chat on Xbox and like talking to my friend about what I was doing. Well, Elder Scrolls Online kind of offers that to a degree. So why not Fallout, right? Well, it's not that simple. Nesmith said the following. It was like, it's going to be the same Fallout. All we have to do is add multiplayer. And with those words, we started down a path that was not as successful as we had before because it's not just adding multiplayer. Turns out it's adding so 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 much more so similar to how Zenimax thought that you know Arcane could just sort of do a multiplayer game it's not that simple but the good news is Nesmith did refer to Fallout 76 as being successful now and debating whether or not it's successful that's a different subject I, I do think they have clearly dedicated time energy and resources to turning that game around many people have said it's a very different game it's very enjoyable and I think that's admirable but it begs the question with that happening to Fallout 76 with how difficult that was will they ever try multiplayer again after that the thought is you know hey it's going to be simple and it really wasn't it's probably the largest blemish that Bethesda wears as a company even as hotly debated as Starfield is I don't think anybody looks at Bethesda and doesn't say look man Fallout 76 is their worst game it's their worst Launched. They took a beloved franchise and they sort of tarnished it, even though it is in better state. Many people remember it in that way. So if you've ever wondered <laughs> what happened to Fallout 76, well, now you know. But what we don't know is if Bethesda will ever try another large-scale multiplayer game again. Who knows? Maybe we see a Starfield Online in the future. Or maybe Bethesda feels that that'd be flying a little too close to the sun. So let me give you... My thoughts and my conclusions here, you know, the debate about the size of Starfield, it's been going on since that very, very first showing, right? When Todd Howard said, we're going to have a thousand stars, uh, I'm sorry, a thousand planets, we're going to have a hundred star systems, it, like, everybody just kind of hit pause, they're like, wait, what did he say, you know? And it seems that even internally, this was a point of a discussion and even potentially a debate that they had, like, is this a good idea? Would Starfield have been better if it was more of like an Outer Wilds type structure? You know, sort of a more contained RPG in space. I I mean, maybe. Maybe it would have been better. I don't know. Even then, it would have turned, I think, into maybe the opposite debate. People might have said, listen, uh, this game should be bigger. We've already had games like this. This just feels like another game. This just feels like Outer Wilds. Well, the second thing I want to say is, in that in that vein of we already have a game like this is the Elder Scrolls 6 it could likely fall into a similar quagmire do you make the game enormous or do you make it more reasonably sized do you let players have true meaningful game altering choices or do we just let everybody join every guild and play every quest line I think Nesmith basically told us what we already know Elder Scrolls 6 will very much be a sequel to Skyrim. I believe that philosophy of we want people to play for hundreds of hours, we want them to be able to do everything, I believe that will carry into the Elder Scrolls 6. And that's either a good or a bad thing depending on what the player wants. I, for one, would love to see them take bigger risks. And yes, players would complain, but I don't want a safe Skyrim sequel. That's a lot of S's. My conclusion is this. Game development is hard. 
It's long. It's expensive. Decisions you made six years ago have a massive impact on what the game looks like today when it launches. Deciding on a thousand planets versus two dozen planets. Having choices that cut off players from content versus, well, everything is playable. In an unironic way, like Baldur's Gate 3, the choices devs make now will affect the entirety of how Elder Scrolls 6 turns out. The real question is, will the ending be one that we celebrate, or one we walk away from disappointed? And that's the show open. Thank you guys so much for being here today. I thought this interview was great. I I loved the candor. I loved the honesty. I just think it was so insightful into how how Starfield turned out the way that it did. But also, I think it's insight into where Elder Scrolls Six will likely land and that could be great that could be bad depending on who you are and starting off the day right han shot first and so did you the first member drop of the day a five bomb from alex setting us up nicely teeing up a big 20 bomb if somebody wants to slam it home that early that fast currently we're working on a milestone for community game night we have 2450 members 2750 is the uh the next milestone you guys could easily hit that you guys have gone crazy before i guarantee you we could hit that today we had a really really great day yesterday welcome all new members if you got a a membership yesterday it might have been from me or it might have been from somebody in chat guys make sure you're also smashing the like button there's almost 600 people here smashing that like button helps us out hit subscribe so you can talk in my chat as well would love to know what you think about that breakdown he talked about starfield it would have been better if it was smaller he talked about elder scrolls 6 he talked about fallout 76 where do you guys land on what he was saying in the breakdown there dark taco with 14 months on a vip best gaming show in the league thank you dark taco appreciate that very much adjc says they need to keep it as where it was having a vast area that can be fully explored allowing your actions to matter as far as the main quest but not cutting the player from enjoying factions Lono, uh yeah i'm not like what we're not talking about that i we watched that trailer yesterday i if you want my commentary on that uh, i i i did a co-stream of that if you want to see what i thought we did discuss that at the very very end i'm gonna be in then comment sections flaming my boy for mixing up outer worlds and outer wilds I thought it was Outer Worlds, but then the article said Outer Wilds. I thought it was Outer Worlds. The, the article said Outer Wilds, so I literally changed what I was saying at the end. Yeah, they had the wrong thing in the article. Look, I'll show you. Oh my gosh. I literally changed my monologue. I had Outer Worlds, and then my quote from that article, they said Outer Wilds. I was like, what the frick? I was like, that's not right. Look, look, I'll show you. That's so irritating. I knew I had it right. Look, right here. This red part, I copied directly from the article. It says, makes me think about the outer wilds, right? Look at what I wrote. Look what I wrote. Hang on. Outer worlds. I I had it right. <laughs> That's so irritating. I had it right. Outer Worlds. They put Outer Wilds in their game, and they were doing the same the same thing. They were thinking of Outer Worlds. I was like, I literally changed my monologue. I was like, oh, I guess I, I, I guess I have it wrong. I guess I have it wrong. Outer Wilds is right. No, it's not. Outer Wilds is this game. Look, 
It's it's this it's this game here. That's Outer Wilds. They were thinking of the Outer Worlds, were they not? Weren't they thinking of this game here? They were thinking of this game. I swear this is the game they were thinking of, right? Isn't this a game with planets? It's a contained planet RPG. I played that game. I played that game. I I swear to you, I was like, oh, I'm literally in the middle of my monologue, and I'm like, I guess I had it wrong. I guess they have it right. Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds has the open universe. Oh, it does. I thought Outer Wilds was contained, so they did say the right game. Okay. In my mind, I was thinking of Outer Worlds. Outer Wilds, you see planets and you go to them. Oh, okay. Okay. I've not played that one. I originally thought it was like, oh, it's it's Outer Worlds. That's what they're thinking of, like a contained, you know, RPG. It uh yes, it was Outer Worlds. Now everybody's confused. Outer Outer Worlds is kind of like Fallout. That's why I thought they were talking about that one. Outer Wilds people are saying you can go to planets. It's an action-adventure game developed by Mobius Digital. Welcome to the space program. Your newest recruit to the Outer Wilds Ventures, a fledgling space program. So, yeah, that's so confusing. (laughs) That's so confusing. (laughs) Like, their names are so close. Their names are like two letters apart. That's very confusing. Hang on, I got some people to thank. I was like, I was thinking of the Outer Worlds. They were thinking of the Outer Wilds. I, in any case, would Starfield have been better if it was smaller? <laughs> I can't believe it. Duh, hang on, I already thanked Dark Taco. The Postman with 14 months and a VIP. Joker Quinn gifts a member. And it goes to Liam, pushing that number up. Guys, thank you so much for all the gifted members lately. Pushing our way to that next milestone. Thank you so much. I'm just reading the wiki. They called it an action adventure on the wiki on Google. Outer Wilds is not action adventure. It's a puzzle game. That's why I thought when I read the article, they were referring to the Outer Worlds. I was like, like, listen to the quote. Listen to the quote, right? They said, it makes me think about Outer Wilds. That game has a solar system and planets that are proportionately small, but it captures the wonder of space exploration fantastically. Is that what they mean? Are you doing space exploration in the Outer Wilds? I thought the same thing. I thought it was like a puzzle game. I never played it. I played the Outer Worlds, and I thought that's what they were referring to. I was like, I went to different planets in the Outer Worlds. That's got to be what they're talking about. And then I got to the end of my monologue, and I was like, wait, they said Outer Wilds. I guess I'll say Outer Wilds. I was like, now I'm really confused. Samson with a two-spot. Alan Wake is a 90 on meta. Starfield is out for Game of the Year. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Well, I mean, I guess we can talk about that today. We are talking about Starfield. Yeah, go ahead. I've been kind of pushing back on Starfield commentary because I don't want it to hijack conversations about other games and other topics. But um, yes, I've seen the Alan Wake reviews. I was worried. I thought, man, Alan Wake looks amazing. It looks graphically strong. But yesterday in that video, the performance looked really rough. But... Digital Foundry is giving it high marks. I'm like, this better not be another Jedi Survivor where everybody's giving it high scores and it has performance problems because I was a little worried yesterday. We watched that trailer and I was like, 
I was like, oh, that looks kind of rough. I was like, that's a lot of artifacting anytime she moves. So we'll see. We'll see. Game comes out tomorrow. 100% Outer Wilds. You're exploring space and planets while trying to solve a time loop. Okay. Okay. I was confused because I have had people say they would have loved it if Starfield was more like the Outer Worlds. I've had people say that. They're like a more contained space RPG experience. I've had people say that. So when that article said that, I just transposed it. I was like, oh, they're thinking they would love it to be more like Outer Worlds, but they're meaning like, no. It would. They're speaking specifically to the size of the universe. Rissick comes in with a five bomb. Rissick, my wife bagged up your coffee yesterday and she said she felt bad. She's like, I didn't realize it was Rissick until I closed the bag. She's like, I would have given him an extra bag or something. Uh, and then she also did the same thing with Zubair. She's like, I would have given Zuby, she used to give Zuby like a special artwork from the kids. So, sorry, she was like, he only ordered two bags. She's like, I would have given him an extra one. Uh, so thank you, Rissick. I appreciate that. Love the back and forth, my friend. Gotta go back to work. Yeah, thanks so much, Dark Taco, uh, for being here. Um, Insomniac Games has ca- had they have patched the Cuban flag incorrectly displayed instead of the Puerto Rican flag. We understand the accurate representation matters and greatly regret this error. Okay, ah, that's fine. It, they, it, that's, it, was a, it was a simple mistake. They got the, <laughs> they got the outfit right. All right. That's what matters. Oh, let me turn on uh, the scene switcher timer so you guys can see. Got another great Into the AM shirt on. I'll have more ripped apparel shirts soon. They just sent me a new batch of, uh, of, of, of like a gift card so I can order some more. But don't forget to use my code at Into the AM if you ever like the really graphic, artsy shirts I get from them. They're very, very cool. Ripped apparel is more like pop, uh, like uh, pop culture references and stuff like that. Uh, Outer Wilds is mist in space. Outer Worlds is Obsidian's Fallout in space. That See, that's why I got so confused. Because I was like, anytime this conversation about Starfield has come up, everybody always says, if they're talking about size, they're like, I would have preferred... I would have preferred it to be more stripped down. Right? I would have preferred it to be more like the Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds is such a great RPG. Makes me pumped for the Outer Worlds too. I'm actually really excited for Outer Worlds 2 because I didn't play Outer Worlds all the way to fruition. At the time, I was so heavy in Destiny, I couldn't give games a lot of time. But I played Outer Worlds... We did quite a bit with that. I don't know how far I got. I remember I was like doing a character, Francis Forehead. Um, we, were having a lot of, we were having a lot of fun with it. It looks like the Alan Wake scores are dropping a little bit. PC was 96 and now it's a 92 open critic was like a 90 and now it's like an 89 so it is dropping a teeny bit not by much but it looks like it's going to settle into the high 80s only problem i have with outer worlds are the unique weapons like weapon scaling is crap okay here's somebody saying thanero says as a person who played starfield wilds and worlds wilds has the best space exploration despite being indie and a smaller game yeah, and that must have been what the article was considering, right? Yo, what's good, Feed? I see you in the chat. You know, that must have been what they were considering, is they were purely talking about shrinking the game down so that exploration was better, right? Because Nesmith, the the Skyrim guy, he's like, this game should have been smaller. It would have been better if it was smaller. Exploration didn't really come through. You know, I think in his mind, the th- this is essentially what he was arguing, you got a thousand planets, but everything typically, most everything's happening in these two dozen. He's like, let's just focus on those two dozen. 
that was like his thinking Todd's thinking was I want this to feel like space there's so many planets they're barren there's ice balls there's nothing out there and that's just a philosophical difference nobody's right or wrong you know as I said in the show open I thought that you could come to a game like this and say if they would have only done like two dozen planets there would have been people that are like it's not big enough this doesn't feel like a space exploration game or they would have just said this is a lot like outer worlds this is just this is like outer worlds right this is just like fallout in space and I think there would be people that were like no this is great and then switch it around how it is now people are like I wish it were smaller I wish it were more like the size of like outer worlds and there people are like no way this is great we can go anywhere there's tons of planets there's all kind of random things that can happen I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer it all comes down to preferences I feel that when you play something like Phantom Liberty, you get a glimpse into what you get from a game like this when you go more handcrafted as opposed to, you know, quantity. You know, Mark Miller feed says, guys, hit that like button, everybody. Everyone who's played a Bethesda game should know what to expect from their games. Choice has never really made a difference in their games. The emphasis of Starfield was due to its size. Oh, the emptiness of Starfield is due to its size. Well, yeah, we can talk about that because he did touch on that. He touched on your choices mattering. He compared Bethesda games to Baldur's Gate 3. And in his mind, your choices are more meaningful. He's like, your choices aren't really highly, he used the phrase highly meaningful. He wasn't saying they're not meaningful at all. He was like, your choices aren't highly meaningful in Bethesda games. And I think that that's fine as long as that's your expectation. If you're expecting like highly meaningful choice, like in Baldur's Gate 3, if you make a choice, I had people telling me this yesterday. They're like, dude, if I, I chose this one thing, there's all sorts of stuff I don't get to do. There's entire pieces of the game that are closed off to me. And they said, I love that. Now, there were other people in the chat that said, I would hate that. So it really comes down to the player. It's like some players will absolutely bristle at that. Like, what? If I go with this faction, I can't do any of that over there? Now, I want to push back on something Nesmith said in the interview, though. I want to push back because he says, you know, these games are designed, Bethesda games are designed for people to play for hundreds of hours. And if you let people make decisions that close off half the game to them, you're going to end up with a game where they only put 50 hours. And I think he, I think he's wrong. I think if you properly build a game like Starfield, where your choices close things off to you, and you also include New Game Plus, I think he's wrong. Sure, they might have a single playthrough go a little bit quicker, because certain things were closed off to them, and it caused them a more expeditious ending, or they're more quickly willing to just kind of roll things over into New Game Plus. But if you're looking to play hundreds of hours in Starfield and they had meaningful choices that closed off factions and quest lines and storylines to you, but you could roll over in the new game plus and then maybe do it a little bit differently that time around. That would still net you hundreds of hours. I, I, I think he's creating a false division. It's like, wait a minute. If you give people those meaningful choices, that doesn't mean they're only going to play 
for so many hours. Like, look at Baldur's Gate 3. Are people like, oh, yeah, you know, there, I, certain choices close off pieces of the game to me, so I'm not going to play. I'm done. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. No, I actually think it makes them play more. When your choices have consequences, it actually promotes more engagement because you're more invested in the story. You're more invested into, into the choices that you've made. Th- this is a common misconception, I think. And I believe that this is where Bethesda needs to maybe alter their thinking on this. I think it's a misconception that if you have meaningful choices that close off content from people, they're going to play less. I don't agree with that. I think psychologically they would be more invested, more tethered to what's going on. And they would be then then more prone to play a lot more. Now, We've had similar discussions about generosity and like looter shooters. People are like, well, if you're too generous, people are going to get the, the stuff that they want and then they're going to stop playing. I had this discussion with people about Destiny, about Diablo, about Anthem. I've always had this discussion with people. Well, if you're too generous, you know, people are going to get what they want. They're going to stop playing. And I'm like, no, no. Generosity in a looter shooter is not the the enemy of engagement it's the promoter of engagement it will increase engagement because now you feel empowered as a player to go and get more stuff like the guy who was in charge or one of the guys in charge of the loot 2.0 system in Diablo 3 he said people went from saying I'm just trying to get this thing to drop to saying I'm trying to get a good version to drop why the game's being very generous and they feel empowered I think similarly this idea that, you know, meaningful choices that cut players off from pieces of the content, yeah, that's that's going to uh that's going to cause people to play less. And I'm like, no it's not. No it's not. Now, it might cause like a super casual to play less, but they're not going to play hundreds of hours anyway. They're casual. You know, they're going to feel that sort of choice paralysis. They're like, well, I don't know who to go with, so I don't. And then they're, you know, they're just going to stop playing. Pretty sure they have the data to prove what people actually play. How do they have the data to prove that, Thanaros? Have they ever done the antithesis? If they've never done the antithesis, wouldn't Baldur's Gate 3 be pretty strong evidence that what they're claiming is incorrect? That when you give people really strong, meaningful choices that alter the state of the game or where you can go and what you can do, look at how many people are playing. Look at how many hours people are putting into the game. I think you're creating what's referred to as a false dichotomy. You're saying it's either this or this. And it's like, no. Yeah, we have... We, we either give them meaningful choices or people are going to play less. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think different players would play less and different players would play more and it would all come out in a wash. In my mind, it would equal out. It might even, I think, trend higher. I think it would trend higher. I think more people would play longer because they feel more invested in the story. It's their story. And then they're like, I want to do another play session. I want to play that again. And I want to do everything differently this time. Yeah, I'm not going to be a, you know, renegade mage who steals. I'm going to be a righteous paladin who doesn't ever commit crimes, right? Completely different play style. You're going to go with the righteous faction of light as opposed to the thieves faction of darkness. Like, completely changes your entire experience. You basically get to play a brand new game to a certain degree. 
Eugene says, I think big open world games have an inherent issue with replayability. Having to start over and re-level and go through boring openings, New Game Plus can help a bit, but it doesn't account for everything. Alex Battaglia, my uh, my man from Digital Foundry, the, he's he's the he's the handsome one. Sorry, John, love you. Sorry, Richard, love you. But John, uh, Alex is the handsome one. Alan Wake Two is here, says Alex Battaglia. The hullabaloo about its recommended recommended settings on PCs unfounded. Alan Wake Two has very scalable graphical settings, and when set to the PS5's performance mode settings, uh, an RTX 3070 outperforms it by nearly 50 percent. 1440 FSR2 balance. There you go. A lot of smoke, no fire, apparently. Your man crush? One of many. One of many. I just think he's a handsome man. I'm comfortable enough to say it. (laughs) I like Starfield for the most part, says Nathan. But the big thing for me is that they made it, if they made it smaller, they may have been able to make exploring a bit more worthwhile and fulfill more of their promises. Yeah, and this is where I do agree. I actually do agree with Bruce Nesmith, the guy that did the interview. His contention was if we would have done like two dozen planets and stopped. So think 25. Let's just go with 25. If they would have done 25 planets, you could have had more of those experiences like you had in Skyrim where you're like, I gotta go to this planet and talk to this person. And you're like, on your way, and you're like, what's that? And you go and you investigate it, and it's just some random cave made by a worm. And then you're going down and you're looking, and you discover this whole thing, this whole side quest, where these worms need to be hunted, because if not, they're gonna roll back all the terraforming of the planet, and then the planet will be destroyed and in the meantime, while you're doing this, you harness the power of their their abilities of worms, and you get these cool, like, mining weapons. You know, like, they could have done more of that. Now, again, I'm not saying that's a better game. I'm saying that's a game I would have enjoyed more. I think it's a preference thing. Yo, Rissick coming in. Gifted a member. Doc says, I just come in, you calling someone handsome? Must be talking about me. I'll say it. I mean, I'll say it. You got the you got the looks. I think your brother got the brains. I mean, you can kind of see that. I have a big forehead, so does he. So I mean, that that's evidence of big brain, you know. You got the looks, though, dog, you know. And when you're not as smart as your as your brother, you kind of need it, you know. You need that to take you a little far- <laughs> I try I try to keep a straight face. You need that to take you a little bit farther, you know. You got to make up. You got to make up for being a dum-dum, you know. Just an adorable dum dum. <laughs> I love both you and P Rock. I know I can get away with it. I know I can get away with that. Okay, I know I can get away with that. I love you both. <laughs> You're good people. <laughs> oh man! In Hogwarts Legacy, I explored every inch of the world. In Starfield, I quickly got to the point where I just went to the waypoints because there's rarely anything worth finding or wandering off. It's quite a large weapon he has there. Yeah, I told you he's a handsome man. <clears throat> the backhanded compliment, that's right. With the crazy hype they got behind this game, uh, failing shouldn't have been an option. It only hurts the credibility. I wouldn't say that Starfield has failed. I would say 
I think they fell short of expectations. I think that's fair. I think even a lot of the people who like the game would admit it, it fell kind of short of some of the expectations that people have had. Like, even the people that are enjoying it are like, eh, these loading screens are a bit of a bummer. Eh, 30 FPS is a bit of a bummer. Exploration's kind of not what I thought it was going to be. They're still having a good time, you know? I was honest yesterday about Spider-Man 2. I was like, eh, this game's got some jank in it. I was like, I love this game. It's my game of the year, but uh, it's got some jank in it, you know? Like, even if you love a game, you can be honest about its shortcomings. Uh, getting soft lock on a mission and having to refight a room of people? Come on now, that's insomniac. I expect better, you know? When you have the history that Bethesda has, I think people expected, you know, better. And I think that's fair. I don't think that says, oh, the game failed it flopped. No, it just kind of fell short. It wasn't a lot of us thought we were going to get No Man's Skyrim and we got Fallout 5 with spaceships and planets, you know? That's not a slam or a cheap shot. That's my expectations was was this over here and I didn't get that. I got something else, which is why I didn't it didn't land on me. There are people that they just wanted another great Bethesda RPG, and they're like, "I got it, I got that. I'm so, I'm thrilled. They're 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 happy. They're super happy." If you have bugs, you're playing the game wrong. Hey, Doc, come on now. There's guys out here faking bugs. I saw a guy this morning faking bugs. He's like, "I can't jump off the building." Mm, you're gonna get community noted, and you're gonna farm the impressions and make money from it. it hurts my skull that that's like a thing, but. Mm. Now, now, Lono, it's not how big the brain is. It's how smooth it is. Alex with a $5 super chat. Thank you so much. Did you say Spider-Man 2 is your game of the year? Yeah, it's my game of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jedi Survivor was my game of the year up to that point, but oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It has a lot of advantages, right? I'm, I'm biased because I like that kind of game open world action adventure games that's like my jam it's like that's that's there's so much bias there it's like that's my preference you know what i mean if you're like what's the best restaurant on this street if your favorite food's pizza it's very likely you're gonna be like ah it's the pizza place you know the bias is strong you're like well i love me some pizza and you're gonna pick the pizza place I'm one of those. I love Bethesda RPGs and I love Starfield. I know it's far from perfect and not exactly what I expected, but I've accepted that and I still love it for what it is. I learned that I actually really like a game like Starfield if it's like Phantom Liberty. It I, I need it to be more intentional and and I think have like a higher grade of performance and quality. I, I need those things or it's really hard for me to enjoy it, you know? Um, so traditionally, I don't like games where there's lots of dialogue and dialogue choices and Phantom Liberty just freaking hit it out of the park. I was like, oh, I actually like a game like this. This is excellent. And it was contained, you know, it was a good 25 hour experience, I think is how long my experience was. Yo, it's good, King Thrash. The real issue is Elder Scrolls using the same engine. 
Oh, I didn't even touch on that because the interview didn't touch on that, Thrash, but I agree with you. I've talked about this in previous shows. I said, <laughs> I just, I cannot imagine if this game launches in six years, let's just say six, I cannot imagine using Creation Engine in a game in 2029 unless they figure out some massive massive updates to how it runs and looks I'm just like I don't know how y'all are gonna do this it just has a look to it you know it just has this I've, I, I, and I mean this I mean this I was watching somebody recently talk about this and they were like this is the last time they're gonna get away with this I don't know who I was watching. Was it was it Angry Joe? It might have been Angry Joe. I watched another one. I watched Angry Joe's Starfield review and then I watched another one. One of those gentlemen, I forget the other guy I watched, was like, "You won't they won't, they can't get away with this again. This is the last time we can be like, "Oh, it's charming. It's funny. It's it's so Bethesda. You're not going to be saying that in 2029. You're going to be like, "What the frick is wrong with this game?" Like right now, developers are figuring out how to use Unreal 5. And it's rough. It's rough. Okay? Because Lords of the Fallen, it's rough. It's rough. Unreal 5. It's like the second or third game this year that used Unreal 5, and it's like, whoa, y'all are kind of not doing great with this. But they will. They will. Like, look at what they're doing with Unreal 5 with like just the first couple of games that are taking the shot. And look at what they're doing. What do you think is going to happen in the next six years? What do you think they're going to start to figure out? They're going to get better. Optimization is going to improve. Right? There's going to make, there's going to be updates to the engine. They'll get better with figuring out how to get UE5 to run on like a console like the PS5. They'll get better optimizing for mid to high level cards on on computers, graphics cards, right? So in 2029, I want you to imagine what Unreal 5 will look like by then because companies right now are throwing their weight at Unreal. Look at what CD Projekt Red decided. They were like, we got an in-house engine, the Red Engine. We're going Unreal 5. And they're going to be dropping games like The Witcher in Unreal 5. And if Elder Scrolls 6 walks out and is like, we're in the creation engine because we want you to be able to put Thomas a Tank Engine in the game and roll cheese wheels down a mountain, we're all going to say, nobody cares about that anymore. Item, perpetual items, and I can pick up everybody, everything. That's At that point, nobody cares about that. Now you're like, I care about that. Okay, Great. Are you still going to play the game if they take that away from you, but it looks 10 times better because they put it in a new engine? Like, you're not going to play Elder Scrolls 6 if you can't pick up a thousand cheese wheels? Like, seriously? Like, that matters? You want to you drop potatoes on your spaceship? Is that that, that matters to you? What if, what if Starfield looked 10 times better than it does because they put it in a different engine, but you couldn't pick up a thousand potatoes? What do you think the general gaming public would think? What do you, just just ballpark do you think the majority of the gaming public would be like but I can't fill my ship with potatoes so I'm gonna pass right I'm not gonna play that game no I think they'd be like this game looks incredible this game looks phenomenal you, listen we all know how graphics 
can dull the mind of the player in the marketing. We know this. If it's really pretty, they're going to buy it. Oh, look at that. It could be an empty game, and they'll buy it because it's pretty. So, I, I don't think those things matter in six years, man. And I know, I know, I know the Bethesda loyal are like groaning at the thought of leaving the creation engine behind. They're like, but what about the modding community? What about, what about the mods, man? What about all those items I can pick up? And I'm just like, bro, in 2029, I, I just don't think those things are going to matter as much. I think you're going to want to have broad commercial appeal. You're going to want to have maybe broader commercial appeal. You, you, can't, you can't shackle a game to tech that just so clearly is not adapting with the times. You think Todd Howard's going to be able to walk out in 2029 and be like, yeah, it was a creative decision. It's 30 FPS. People would be like, is, is Todd trying out stand-up comedy all of a sudden? What's he saying? Did, did he say 30 FPS? I, I didn't. I don't, I don't know if I heard that right. What, what's 30 FPS? In six years, that's going to be like a bygone era. 30 FPS? What did he say? You're not going to get away with it. Patrick Q with a gifted member. Thank you so much, Patrick. Taking us to 13. If you guys are enjoying the show, by the way, we're about an hour in. Let me do a little station identification and welcome you in. If you've never been here before, this is a daily video game talk show. This is a daily video game talk show. It is safe for work, so you can throw me on in the background. A lot of people treat me like a daily podcast. Hit subscribe if you want to talk in my chat. Subscribing is free. You know what else is free? Smashing that like button. Hit that like button. Let's set our sights on 300 likes. We should easily have 400 likes by now. There's almost 700 people here. Hit that like button. It helps me out. There's another way you can support the channel. It's through membership. You can join and get access to all the extra content and shows that I do. I do a daily talk show like this and an upload like this totally for free and then we do a whole nother host of shows later on in the day just for members so you get like double the content if you do a membership for five bucks it gets you into our members only discord as well Uh, I forgot to slide the coffee into the stream this morning but you can also order coffee we have a light roast and a dark roast that is not a sponsor that is mine those are the various ways you can support if you can't do a membership just watch the show as often as you can there are very generous people who gift we're currently working on a milestone of 2750 we're at 2450 that'll unlock community game night we'll play we'll play games together we do a friday night stream with members my wife joins me it's a blast so make sure you guys are here for that there's a little station identification about an hour into the show which is not to say that Bethesda shouldn't switch to UE5. They should. The modding community can follow. Yeah, are there UE5 games that don't... Can't you mod those games too? Like, I know Creation Engine is, like, super moddable, right? You know? But, like, come on. The one mistake in your argument. You're underestimating the modding community. It's bigger and will certainly still be here in 10 years. Yeah, but you're saying that if they switched to Unreal, the modding community would follow them and figure it out. You don't think modding won't matter to a Bethesda game. That is some cap. I will grant you crap on the creation engine, but mods will always be linked to Bethesda. No, 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 no. I think you were misunderstanding what I was saying. I wasn't saying that the modding community doesn't matter. I'm saying the modding community in creation engine doesn't matter enough to shackle the game to creation, to shackle Bethesda to creation for forever. 
Does that make sense? I'm not saying, oh, the modding community doesn't matter. I'm sure that'll get clipped and thrown into a salt video. Go for it. I, that, that doesn't matter. I, that's not what I was trying to say. I was saying, if you're going to keep this engine because of the modding community, bro, th- no, miss me with that, brother. We, the game needs to advance. We got to have a better looking, better running game. We do. I don't want to hear that Elder Scrolls 6 is getting bad scores because it's a bad port. I don't want to hear that the Elder Scrolls 6 is getting bad scores because, well, it's the creation engine, it's artistic, it's a creative decision, and people just don't understand. I don't want to freaking hear that in six years. I don't care about that. That's that's not compelling. Especially if, 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 if what, one of the primary reasons we're going to do it is because of the modding community? Come on. $5 tip from Alex. They're so married to the creation engine. While they should let it go, do you think they realistically will? I have no idea. I have no idea. They have decades of institutional knowledge in this engine, in creation. They have a community who makes their games look better than they can. Did you see the NPC patch? It's unbelievable. I'm sorry, NPC mod? <laughs> They have a community that's better at at making a game look good than they are. They're like, oh man, we didn't even... We didn't know you could do that. You can make the NPCs look good. How about that? Just just one guy in, in his house is like, yeah, I made the NPCs not look like trash. Hey, look at that. By myself. Took me a couple weeks. You know. They've got a long history of, of this engine. I don't know if they're going to be able to leave it behind. I think they need to, though. I think you. I think what you do, you do what the... Uh, now, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. I think they do what the, the Gears guys did. Coalition's like, look, y'all, we're going nose down. We're going to convert everything to Unreal 5. Right? We're, we're going nose down. We're going to convert everything to Unreal 5. Now, that's a little unfair because they're already using Unreal. So it's a little bit of a, of a shorter process, I'm sure. But that's what I think they need to do. I think Bethesda needs to commit to being like, listen, this is going to be tectonic and it's going to be painful. It'll open us up, though. It'll open us up to be able to hire more people. There's more people out there that are going to be able to just fold right into the community, fold right into the studio. They've, they're going to have years of experience in Unreal. Let's break. Let's Let's switch. Eugene says, less than half of Starfield's playtime was on PC. Don't tell me the modding community is so important to hold back the base game evolving. Oof. That, that's, a, uh, that's a fact that came out recently. Less than half of Starfield's playtime was on PC. So, if you think the modding community is that important... The majority of the playtime in Starfield's not even on PC. And we know Xbox has the smallest footprint in consoles. So with the smallest footprint in consoles, Xbox netted more game time than PC. And you're worried about modding community? No disrespect to the modding community. I think they're impressive. I think that what they do is cool and admirable and driven by passion. I think all of that's respectable. I don't think it's compelling enough to say the game that people have been waiting for us to make 
for when it comes out over a decade it's been five years since the first trailer of Elder Scrolls 6 you think they're going to wait all that time and be like people have been waiting this long for us to make this game but what we really need to do is make sure we keep the modding community happy the the minority of the people who play our game we need to keep them happy I think that's a grave mistake and that's not disrespect to the modding community. That's just the, that's just business, man. Like you got to you got to choose what's best for the game, the franchise and the company. Not what's best for a, a a small portion or or a slice, maybe not even say it's small, a slice of the community of of Bethesda gamers. Like oh, you got to make sure the modding community's happy. You trying to sell games or you trying to keep a bunch of dinosaurs happy? Like which is it, right? Like what are we doing here? Thrash says, I don't think Todd wants to pay Epic royalties. I mean, listen, if CD Projekt Red can walk away from their own Red Engine and say, yep, Unreal 5's it for us. If they can do that, you know, I... What do you make of the Starfield reviews on Steam being on a downward trend? Oh, you mean this? You guys want to see something? I'm sure this is because it's a bad port. Like, if I put my thinking cap on and I try to deduce what this means, I think that's the only conclusion I can come to, guys. This is clearly a bad port. You guys want to see this? Look at that. Last 13,000 reviews is 60%. Overall, 71, but 60%. So, the longer the game's been out, it's been patched. You know, it's had some things added to it, some fixes. Score is worse. I'm sure it's because it's a bad port, though. It's being review bombed. You guys want to go? We, should we go look at the last 30 days? Should we? This guy this guy played the game for 165 hours. This guy here doesn't recommend it. This is in the past 30 days. Look at this review bomb. 256 hours. Can't believe he bought the game just to review bomb it. It must be a bad port. I mean, he played it for 256 hours. I mean, you know. Oh, here's another one. I'm not even. I'm not even tripping. I'm just scrolling. Here's another one. Within the last 30 days, he posted this on September the 28th. 138 hours. Just another review bombing. You know, bad port player. You know, 138 hours of a bad port. Here's another review bomb. 259 hours. You know, like clearly, clearly there's bias going on here clearly it's a bad port you know people always put hundreds of hours into bad ports like the last of us port you know when it got really bad scores everybody waited to give them those bad scores they played for like hundreds of hours first that's what people do with bad ports guys that's just the truth you know the jedi survivor has really bad scores on steam and i'm telling you people waited they put in a couple hundred hours before they gave them those bad scores because they really wanted to make sure it's a bad port. 
that's commonly what PC gamers do, don't you know? That they play a bad port for hundreds of hours. You know, they want to make sure. They want to, they don't want to give it a bad score in, in a brash way. Except everything I just said is ludicrous because what PC gamers typically do to a bad port is they eviscerate it and it gets bad scores right away. Doc, I know I know people are going to go here. Doc goes there. He says, come on, man, 130 hours? How do you play a bad game for 130 hours? Stop it. Lono, you know better. Read one and let's see what they complain about. Sure. I, I've not even scrolled. I've not even scrolled. This is unplanned. Introduction. I'm a huge RPG fan. Been playing them for over 20 years. And they're by far my favorite gaming genre. I put thousands of hours into Oblivion. Skyrim. Fallout 3, New Vegas, even Fallout 4, despite its obvious flaws. We're dealing with a veteran here, Doc. You sure you want to do this? Hopefully you're wearing your seatbelt. Unfortunately, I've witnessed a constant decline of quality, RPG elements and choice, and consequence with Bethesda RPG since Oblivion. With the exception of New Vegas, which ironically wasn't even made by Bethesda. Thus, my excitement and expectations for Starfield were pretty low, but I was willing to give it a try to build my own opinion and to experience what BGS can create with such a big budget and long development time. I've completed the main quest line, all faction quests, many side quests, and started multiple characters to see how I can roleplay my character and what choices I can make. So without further ado, let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly of Starfield. I already like this guy. This is how I write. This is how I write reviews. Now, let let me just stop here. This guy right there inadvertently repudiated what you said, Doc. Do you want to know why? He put in that many hours because that's the kind of player that he is. Did you hear the games that he's played? He's he's been playing since... Doc... He's been playing since before you were playing, right? You're you're late comer to you're late comer to video games, and that's fine. A lot of people are. That's great. This guy's been playing. He's played more RPGs than a lot of us. Oblivion, all the way back to Oblivion, Skyrim, Fallout Three, New Vegas. That's that. This guy's got a gamer card. You know, he's got his punch card ready to go. So he is going to approach this game and really take it to the limit. He's he's not going to just play it for 10 hours and be like, I'm out. Hey, this isn't good. He's I'm out. I'm not going to I'm not I'm done. He plays RPG. So what's he going to do? He's going to give it. He's going to give it the distance. He's like, I'm going to see if this game has got what it takes. I'm going to see if this game can deliver. Right. Keep reading. You know, you're already questioning this guy. Why am I questioning this guy? He 259 hours. And these are the types of games that he plays right here. So he is the type of player to not bail on a game quickly. That's the kind of player that is. He's not going to play for 10 hours and be like, it's terrible. Right? It's terrible. I'm not going to play this game. He's going to go the distance. All right? This is not fallacy of the expert. I'm saying I'm talking about why he put in so many hours. Fallacy of the expert would be be saying he's right because he's played a lot of video games. At least know what the fallacy is before invoking it. I'm not saying he's correct. I'm saying he put in this many hours because these are the types of games that he plays. All right? The good. So he's got a lot of good things to say here. He praises the backgrounds and the traits. 
The addition of backgrounds and traits is easily one of the best parts of Starfield, and he's going to explain why. Shipbuilding. He thinks that's another good thing, right? Having the option to build your own ships and letting your creativity flow is one of my favorite aspects of the game. A lot of people, a lot of people like, like the ships. Boarding and stealing ships. The ability to board enemy ships and steal them for yourself is one of the most fun parts of Starfield. It makes you feel like a real-life space pirate. Lockpicking. A lot of people have praised the lockpicking. They like it. The, uh, you know, they, they I forget what it's called. The, um, the digipicks. They like the digipick system. They think it's fun. He's only done two reviews. What does that matter? That's the inverse of the fallacy of the expert. You're acting as if because he hasn't done a ton of reviews, he shouldn't be trusted. Zero-G combat. A lot of people have praised this. Right? They think zipping around a low-grav environment and fighting is very cool. Even even Angry Joe's review, where he gave the game a 6, even he said he liked the low-grav fight. Soundtrack. Undoubtedly an amazing soundtrack. One of the best soundtracks this year. It's got a stout... It's, it's, it's got a lot it's going up against. Final Fantasy sixteen soundtrack was incredible. Spider-Man 2 soundtrack is incredible. But I think Starfield might actually walk away with with the best soundtrack. Jedi Survivor was also pretty good. It's a little unfair because it gets to dial in the nostalgia of Star Wars, but it, it's an amazing soundtrack. Okay, let's go to the bad. Combat. Combat is an integral part of the game and probably one of the worst. It feels clunky, one-dimensional, and outdated. It is slightly smoother version of Fallout Force combat, but without vats, gore, dismemberment, and killing animations. I think that's exactly on point. I think that's exactly on point. I agree with that. I think it's basically Fallout 4 but but slightly better but smoother the inventory the guns the ammunition the way you pick up guns to get ammo and drop them again like it's basically a non evolved fallout 4 combat system they just made it feel better right stealth I love playing stealth characters but not in this game Starfield still uses the same outdated stealth system as Skyrim just heavily nerfed to a point where it's either broken or not viable at all so this guy tried a lot of different things, all right? Perk tree. Starfield's perk and progression system is easily the worst Bethesda's ever done. It's incredibly restrictive, unbalanced, and grindy. Story. The main story of Starfield's the most boring, bland, and tedious story of any Bethesda game. This is a common thing that I have, I have seen. Dialogue. To be fair, Starfield's dialogue is the best they've ever done. Problem is that it's still bad and leagues behind the competition. None of your choices truly matter and lead almost always to the same outcome. This is exactly tied to what we talked about today from that interview. Okay? Quest design. Quests in Starfield show how creatively bankrupt Baldur's... Uh, Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Reading too many BG3s and turn them into Baldur's Gate. Uh, Bethesda Game Studios is. 90% are fetch quests and 50% of them are radiant. User interface. Uh, this one definitely agreed. UI is clunky. Navigating through the term through them is tedious. It's clearly designed for consoles, and even then, it's bad. Uh, art direction. I don't like NASA punk aesthetics. That's preference. So this isn't necessarily like an objective measurement of bad. Like some of this stuff is like measurably bad because of how like it takes too many steps to do like the most basic things. Right? You can argue that's objectively bad and not good for the user. Right? Combat is fine. Stealth. It's not a stealth game. Does somebody want to tell him? Doc. Come on. That's an element of these games. You invest in stealth so you can play stealth. It's an RPG, Doc. It's an RPG. (laughs) Come on. Anyway. The Ugly. I've encountered numerous bugs. Some immersion breaking glitches and several game breaking ones. So much for the least buggy game. Okay, look at this. But it's a bad port, guys. It's a bad port. 
He has all this to say. Bad, 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 bad. Um, yeah, I, I have, I've had some bugs. He, he, this is how much he dedicates his review, 256 hours to bugs. But he gave it a bad review because it's a bad port, guys. I can control F and substantiate my claim by saying, look, look, a guy mentioned bugs in his negative reviews. See, this game got bad reviews because it's a bad port. I, you know, I know how to use control F, you know, no exploration, no immersion. Exploration is commonly criticized. So is immersion because you're constantly in loading screens and menus and UI conclusion. He gives it a five out of 10 down here. Conclusion five out of 10. I, that, that's just in the last 30 days I just grabbed a guy who played the game who played the game a bunch and has played a bunch of Bethesda games and all I'm doing is substantiating the idea that this game isn't a failure it just fell short for a lot of people and it shouldn't be like crazy to say that it shouldn't be it, it shouldn't it should not be this this like oh my gosh i can't believe this guy said this i can't believe this guy left this review he recommended a game that he played for 130 hours let that sink in he unrecommended a game doc here's the problem with what you're doing and i'm gonna level with you because i like you and i respect you you're taking up an unfalsifiable position it's unfalsifiable because if the man only played for 10 hours you would just say he didn't play it enough he'd be like I've played a bunch, and that guy didn't play enough. He didn't make it to all of the treasure trove of greatness that's over here. He didn't play enough. But when they play a lot, you're like, there ain't no way somebody played 130, 260 hours and then unrecommends the game. Why not? Anybody who gives a game a low rating after 100 hours is a clown? Why? I don't understand. So we invalidate his opinion because he did the due diligence of checking every system, every every gameplay type that might be good. Well, if you play it this way or that way, if you make it to this point, if you make it to that point, you're invalidating his opinion simply because he played a bunch. I find that to be bizarre. You'd invalidate his opinion if he didn't play enough. It's an unfalsifiable position, which means it's not intellectually respectable. He played for 10 hours and didn't like it, then I respect it. Why would he waste more time in it? I mean, you might say that, Doc, but the common theme around Starfield is didn't play enough. You can't speak on the game. And then somebody goes the distance. This guy is a big Bethesda fan. The homie's been playing since Oblivion. He puts in 259 hours. He goes the distance. He's like, there might be greatness here. You know what sunk cost fallacy is, right? You keep going because you've sunk so much time into the game. And you're convinced it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It'll turn. I've, I've played a lot. I'm going to keep going. And and he gets to the end of the road and he's like, I can't recommend this journey to anybody. You know, you go to a theme park, you ride one ride and you leave. You're like, that place sucks. And people would say, you didn't even ride all the rides. How do you know it sucks? 
So he goes back and he's like, all right, I rode every ride. The park sucks. Don't go there. Who in their right mind would ride every ride in a theme park and then unrecommended? Who would do that? It's like you can't win. It's like there's no way to say, I wouldn't recommend this game. There's no way to do it. Also, yes, what about people like SkillUp? They put in hundreds of hours into a game, 50-something hours, 70-something hours into a game so they can substantiate their review with experience, and then it's like, nobody would ever do that. Nobody would play a game that long and give a game a bad score. That's stupid. What? He rode every ride 10 times. That's a huge difference. Well, you don't stretch my analogy beyond what it's intended to communicate, Doc. I'm simply communicating that if somebody experiences the entirety of the game, they're in the position to say whether or not they would recommend it. Plenty of people do that. They'll play the whole game. They're like, I got to see it through. You've done that with the movie, have you not? You're like, it's going to get better. You've done that with the show, have you not? It's going to get better. Come on, it can't be this bad. And you get to the end of the movie, you get to the end of the season, and you tell your friends, don't watch it. Who would watch a whole movie? Who would watch a whole movie and not not recommend it? Who would do that? What do you you mean? You want to see if it gets better. You want to see. A lot of times people do this with a TV show. They're like, well, I watched season one. I got to watch season two. I want to find out what happens. The acting's terrible. The writing's abysmal. But I really got to find out what happens. I got sunk cost into this thing. Is my recommendation worth more than his? Your recommendation's worth is as valuable as it is constructed. Like if you construct it exhaustively and then it's worth varies in value depending on who reads it so if someone reads your review and they're a lot like you it's extremely valuable to them they're like i'm a lot like doc this is good i want to play this game if somebody reads your review and they're not like you at all it's also valuable to them in the opposite direction they're like yo (laughs) i'm not like doc at all and everything he's saying i don't think i'm gonna vibe with this game i'm different than him Like, if I sat here and sang the praises of Ghost of Tsushima and you were like, I'm not like Lono at all, I don't think I'm going to like that game. Because I think Ghost of Tsushima is one of the greatest games ever made. I love it. It's like one of my favorite games. I think Hellblade, the first one, is one of the greatest games ever made. It is the single most complete piece of video game art that we have. That's what I think about Hellblade. If you're not like me, you're going to read that review and be like, I'm not going to play Hellblade. So my, my review is valuable to you, but in a different way of its value to somebody who's like me, if that makes sense. Hang on. I got a lot of people to thank. I, I've not been, this has been, this is a really enjoyable debate. I'm enjoying this. Let me read what people are doing here. Michael, did I thank you for the gifted member? I don't think I did. Michael gifted a member and pushed us to 14. 15 would be a wonderful layup. $2 from uh, Subastiv says, can we look at his Steam profile? No, I'm not going to do let's invalidate somebody. No, no, I'm not doing that. That's just an effort to invalidate somebody's opinion. You don't get to denounce somebody because you've like, you're going to do that video game check their card thing. I think that's stupid. Five spot from Captain Steve. Check Xbox store reviews. Oh yeah, they're pretty bad. 
JC with two spot. Uh, Doc, just stop there, stand there, and look pretty. <laughs> Garrett uh, Green with 13 months and a member plus. It's literally a reviewer's job to play the game, whether they like it or not. Alex with a $10 super chat. Uh, I've been playing Bethesda games since Morrowind, and there is something missing from the soul of Starfield. I personally just don't know how to quantify it. Let me try this from another angle. Let me try this from another angle. Um, Eugene says, so what's the goal of the person to you all doubt of this person to you all doubting it? Why are there so many people with significant amount of hours not recommending the game on Steam? Right. Yeah. Here's my problem with that 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 theme that we're seeing. Number one, I hate this word, but it just so much feels like coping. It's like you have just decided there is no way anybody put tons of time into this game and didn't like it. And it's like, okay, first of all, it's that's a very unidimensional summary of the guy's review. Why? Because he has a lot of good things to say. He has a lot of good things to say. So there were things he was enjoying. What these good things do is they keep him in the game thinking maybe things will round out. Maybe the good will start to outweigh the bad, right? You're you're acting like it's just this unidimensional thing where he's like, well, I don't recommend it because it's all bad. The whole game sucks. But that's not what he said. He said, there's good, there's bad. My ultimate conclusion is I don't recommend the game. The good and the bad... Are, are like tied so it's a five it's just it's like dead in the middle DK Beggar lays it up 15 out of 25 setting it up for a 10 bomb slam home and Ghost Boy jumps in does his own membership and takes us a 16 thank you so much Ghost Boy I think that's the problem, is we falsely summarize the guy's review. It's like, well, he put in 260 hours. Who's going to play a game for 260 hours if they don't enjoy it? That's not a fair summary of his review. A fair summary of his review would be he enjoyed some of it, he did not enjoy some of it, and his ultimate conclusion was, I cannot recommend this game. There's too many rough edges, there's too many negatives, there's too many bad things. The good is not outweighing the bad. If I go to a restaurant 10 different times and order 10 different entrees, and I come to the conclusion and tell you, I can't recommend the restaurant, and you're like, why would you go 10 times? I'm like, I wanted to try out the entire menu. Some restaurants can have one or two stinker entrees. But I come out of that restaurant and I say about six to seven of the entrees are pretty bad. Three of them are good. I won't. I don't recommend it. Your likelihood of enjoyment is bad. You're going to go and you're likely going to pick one of the things on the menu that aren't very good. Right? If you're a fan of cheeseburgers and if you're a fan of pasta, they suck at that. You're not going to like the restaurant. Right? So it's like you can go the distance with something and be like, there's good, there's bad. The bad outweighs the good. I can't recommend this thing. I wanted to see it. I wanted to stretch the game to its limits. The, 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 the dismissal of the reviews of Starfield has got to be psychologically analyzed because it's just so interesting to me. Just so interesting to me. To see veteran Bethesda players put in the time, put in the work, write a thoughtful review, and then ain't ain't nobody playing a game for 200 hours that didn't enjoy it. What? What you mean? 
mean? Plenty of people do that. They want to see if it's any good. You know? This is what happens when trillion dollar corporations market to the short term memory corporate apologists. I mean, I don't want to categorize and name call. I don't. I would rather try to diagnose what's happening. And what I think is happening, we've all been there, right? You're watching a show and you're digging it. And you get to the end and you think, what a show. And then you go to the office. And Dave's like, oh, I thought that show sucked. And you're like, what? It's like you can't, you, it's like you can't conceive of that. You're like, what do you mean? What do you mean it sucked? Yeah, I got to the ending. I thought the ending was lame. And you're like, who would watch? You watch the entire show and you thought that it sucked? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, we've all been there. It's like you have gone into Starfield and had an experience that has said to you, this is wonderful. This is great. And when somebody comes along and is like, I thought it was mid, you're like, what? Like, you can't conceive of it. It doesn't make sense to you. You know, you can't compute that. You're like, huh? You can't, you gotta be kidding me. There's no way. You talking about Loki? No, no, no. I can, uh, lately with the shows that I've enjoyed that other people have not enjoyed, whether it's like Wheel of Time or like Loki or Ahsoka, I 100% can see why people don't like them. And I'm like, I'm having a good time. Like, I I definitely leave room. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why you don't like it. I think you might be right. I just don't think that as strongly as you do. So I had a good time. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Uh, Hang on. Another another super chat. Uh, Subasive with a $10 super chat. So why does this matter? COD and D4 and Overwatch are some of the most played games on Steam. Meanwhile, they're the worst reviewed. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think diagnosing that's a little bit more difficult because, well, I don't, I can't speak to Overwatch 2, um, but like COD and Diablo 4. There's a certain level of volume that sort of overrides any of the negativity. Like the, the, the brand or the franchise is just so big, there's always going to be people playing it, right? And I'm saying that comparatively to other games because you're like you're like these games are some of the most played okay well it's a little unfair the average game can't compete with the sheer volume of Call of Duty and Diablo 4 so comparatively speaking some franchises will always be in in the top they just will they have ingrained fan bases they have people that will just play no matter what like they just don't care but that doesn't mean you can't get an approximation of value from the reviews. So, whenever you're arguing with somebody, there's a, there's there are things called fallacies. What these are is these are argumentative mistakes. They're error. They're error. Uh, I'm trying not to use a bunch of big words. It's an erroneous way to argue. It's an error injected way of arguing you basically are arguing in a way that has like errors baked into it okay you're baking errors into the crust of your argument that's essentially what an argumentative fallacy is now there's an argumentative fallacy called the fallacy of the group and what people will say is is they'll say 
Well, this is true because all these people believe that it is true. Okay? And historically, you know, we'll kill people because of this. We're like, what are you saying, scientist devil person? And they're like, well, I mean, you know, math and math. And they're like, math? Off with his head. We none, Look at how many people don't believe in this math that you're speaking of. And so they'll, they'll kill them. Okay, that's fallacy of the group. Just because a bunch of people believe it doesn't mean it's true. I can convince, uh, you know, uh, a school building full of nine-year-olds that the moon is made out of cheese. I, I can be convincing, right? I could have charts and everything. And I could be like, look at how many people believe this. Like, look, look at how many people here believe this. It doesn't make it true. And so a lot of times people can inadvertently do fallacy of the group. They're like, well, look how many people are playing. It can't be a bad game. Okay, hang on a minute. Quantity of players is not defining the quality of the game. So there's been some games that have been pretty buggy lately. And a great example of this is Jedi Survivor. Jedi Survivor had insanely good commercial success. Really good commercial success. Like, go look at the sales in the month that it launched. It did great. It did so great that I think that that's why they're pulling the trigger on backwards compatibility. Well, not backwards compatibility. I'm sorry. They're porting it to old gen. Okay? So, they're porting it to old gen. They're saying, yep, this did so well. We're gonna That game was a disaster at launch. So that game qualitatively, like objectively, if you broke down the quality of how it performed, it was objectively bad. This isn't subjective opinion. These are measurable bugs and glitches, things that aren't working or performing correctly. And you can't push back against that and say, well, no, clearly Jedi Survivor is fine. Look at the commercial success. Look at how many people bought it. And it would be an inadvertent use of the fallacy of the group. Like, that's not that's not how we argue about things. Now, somebody's saying, aren't you, isn't that what you're, you're doing? No. Because all I've ever argued is that user reviews, user reviews are our best approximation of quality. I think it's our best I don't care about the review outlets as much as I care about the user scores. I've said this for the last year. I said that about Spider-Man 2. I was like, yeah, Spider-Man 2 Metacritic, that's great. I want to look at the user score. And the user score is great. Okay. So when you see this, is that coalescence? Forget it. When you see that overlap and that agreed upon score both from the users and the review outlets you could say that's an approximation of that game's quality that is a good game now if someone were to say i think it's a bad game i would say that's fine you're welcome to have that opinion not this doesn't mean that the game is objectively great and everyone will enjoy it what it means is we have an approximation of this game's quality this game is good now, your enjoyment of something that is good, that's subjective. That's where things get different. Yeah, it's a convergence. Yeah, this convergence of the user score and the, and the, and the review scores. That gives you an approximation of, of value. If 100 people 
come out of a, of, a, of, a, of a restaurant or a business establishment and those 100 people say this place is awesome right 100 people come out and say it let's say 95 95 come out and say that place is awesome and 5 people are like yeah I didn't like it that much are you going to say I can't trust it I don't know it might be bad or are you going to say I think I have an approximation of value here I, this place is probably pretty good I'm going to go in do you do this when you look at review scores on Amazon? Rissick with a gifted member. Thank you so much. So when you go to Amazon to buy something, are you this much of a skeptic of review scores there? Do you see a vacuum cleaner with low scores and you're like, who on earth would use a vacuum cleaner for a week and then return it? Do you do you have this level of skepticism in other environments? Or do you say, it's getting bad scores. Three out of five? Mm, I'm not buying that. No. Mm-mm. Nobody, nobody does this in any other, any other venue. When you go to Amazon and you see the review score, what do you say? Four and a half out of five stars. This is probably a pretty good product. It's been reviewed by twenty thousand people. Okay, it's probably a pretty good product. Or are you skeptical? Are you like, I don't know, man. Just... Or you see a, a, a middling score. Skaterinator with 12 months. One year, let's go! Wouldn't all fallacies fall under fallacy of definition? Honestly, not sure. It doesn't make sense. That by my understanding. There's the fallacy of appealing to a definition where you don't argue, you simply cite a definition. That's different. You can describe something categorically and say, like, straw man fallacy. If some guy walks out and says, I believe that we need to install water purifier units... To make the water cleaner. And the guy goes up to the microphone. He's like, my opponent is an idiot. You'd be like, that's that's the fallacy of ad hominem. You're attacking. I'm sorry. I, I said straw man at the beginning of that. And I went with ad hominem. He's attacking the man instead of the argument. You, you, that's a categorical classification. You're like, yep, that guy just invoked ad hominem. He attacked the man instead of the argument. Instead of saying the water purifying systems are too expensive and research has indicated that they're not that effective, it's going to be a waste of the taxpayers' dollars. That would be that would be attacking the argument instead of attacking the man. Now, Skatenator with the five gifted members comes out and puts us on the doorstep of the first milestone of the day, 22 out of 25. Thank you, Skatenator. Now, if he were to argue and say, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how he would appeal to a definition in an argument. I didn't set up a good argument for appeal to a definition. But appealing to a definition is a form of fallacy. Like, calling something a fallacy is not appealing to a definition. Appealing to a definition would be saying, I am right, and then you just cite the definition. You just basically fall back on the definition instead of using actual reason, argumentation, premise, supporting premises, and conclusions. You're not actually reasoning. You're just sort of appealing and saying, look at this definition. This is why I'm right. You just described some of the most successful YouTube channels with millions of subscribers. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've been watching too much Shane Gillis, Parasito. <laughs> Your son did crack. I can't do it. He's the, he's the master. Shane Gillis is the master. Your son did crack. 
<laughs> it's good. He's fantastic. Oh, he's so, he's excellent. I wish I could do it. It's such an excellent impersonation. I gotta open up the office door. Give me one second. (laughs) Definitions are important to any argument. Yes, so that's starting position. Starting position would be, you have to have agreed upon definitions in order for an argument to take place appealing to a definition is is not the same appealing to the definition is an argumentative fallacy employed once the argument has begun that that's different <laughs> i can't i can't do it no we're not going to do any more <laughs> i just understand why starfield is the line we are holding pick a better game um Here's my honest opinion on what happened with Starfield. So Starfield became a North Star for the platform and the users because it was dark, right? It was dark and it was dry. And that game became a North Star. It was like, there, that's it. This is it. It's this gonna this is gonna save us, dude. It's gonna be the best, and that I think tends to create. Um, I just think that tends to create a level of. Uh, I don't know what to call it, other than like de- like preemptive defense force. It's like the game was great before it came out. The, the game could do no wrong before it came out. It just it became this North Star of like, look at that. That's where we're going. And my hope, <laughs> this is my hope. We've been talking about this a lot. We've been talking about the cadence and rhythm of the Xbox platform and how Activision Blizzard can really help with that. Now that they own Activision Blizzard, there can be a better steady of cadence and rhythm and what I hope that leads to is people being more scrutinous people being more critical and being like listen man Xbox you gave us like four or five games this year and these two here are great these ones over here are not right like I think the reason that people were so willingly critical of Redfall is because like number one you didn't have much of a choice its pants were pulled down in public. It was like, that's bad. But second, I think it was like, well, Starfield's coming, so we can dog on this. Starfield will save the day. I think that starts to change once you get a better cadence of games. I'm dead serious. If Listen to me. If Xbox had first-party bangers in 2022, and if... If Redfall would have been insanely good, if it would have been like a 9 out of 10 game, Starfield would have gotten more criticism from the Xbox loyal. It would have, because they would have been like, we've been getting great games from you. What the frick is this? Does that make sense? It's like, I don't think you would be, like, imagine Halo is award-winning, 
and imagine, uh, you know, they dropped Forza Motorsport at the beginning of this year, and it's blowing everybody's minds with graphics and quality, and it's just amazing, and it's got a crazy good score from the users, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, Starfield would have gotten more criticism. It would have. I. It's. It's like, it's like tepid water to somebody who hasn't had a glass of water in a week. You would take a sip of tepid water and be like, Ugh, what's that? This has been sitting out for a couple of days. Somebody who hasn't been drinking water for a week is going to gulp it down. And they're like, that's the greatest water I've ever tasted in my life. It's like life-giving, literally. That's what I think happened. And that's why there is a part of me that's like hopeful. And hey, listen, man, Activision Blizzard can really change the, the rhythm with which games come out for Xbox which should then lead, I believe, I think this is a fair expectation, they should be launching better quality games. Why? Because there's no rush anymore. You've got so many studios and so many games. If a game's not ready, don't launch it. Don't even consider... If a game's going to look like Redfall, just cancel it. You've got so much property. You have so many games. You There's no excuse now. Every game should come out at quality and on time. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't have delays. What I'm saying is there should be no pressure to give a release date that isn't rock solid anymore. There's no reason to do that. Like what Xbox did in 2022 where they're like, hey, these are all the games coming out in the next 12 months. And like over half of them don't make it. That shouldn't happen anymore. It shouldn't. You've got so much content. You should feel no pressure at all to even speak about a game until you know, no, that's coming out in seven months. Yep, that is a rock-solid launch date. And that should lead to better quality games. It should. Thanos with a $10 super chat tip. Games, movies, music, and books. Reviews are often based on personal feelings, emotion. Reviews are for practical items like leaf blowers or vacuums are typically based on functionality and performance. Okay, let's say you're a, you're, you're, you like this certain author. You love his books. And his latest book comes out. And it's getting like three out of five stars on Amazon instead of his usual four and a half to five out of five stars, he suddenly is getting lower scores. Are you going to preemptively just be skeptical about all those reviews? It's probably just haters. It's probably just review bombing it. Who reads a whole book and then gives it a bad score? Who does that? I read a book. I get two pages in. If I don't like it, I put it down. Like, you would look at that and think, oh man, it's... There's an approximation of quality here. I, this might not be one of his best books. This might be below the quality of his previous books. All these people that know him and love him are buying his books, and it's getting a three out of five. That doesn't mean his book sucks and that nobody likes it. It means this is lower. This is fell below. This, is, this isn't meeting expectations of the people that are you know, typically buying this guy's stuff. Doc says, this is my take. You can play a game for one to two hours and decide if you don't like the game. It's the game's responsibility to keep you playing. It doesn't work the other way. Doc, what's remarkable? What's remarkable is what you just said, I have said many times, 
and was eviscerated for you haven't played long enough I've always said if the content loop and the quality of the game and the pacing of the game if you can't hook me in the first couple of hours I think it's ludicrous to expect me to put in 10 more I've always said that now I think some games require a bit more I think a game like Ori and the Will of the Wisps if you play that for an hour and you're not vibing with it you're probably not going to vibe with it right you're like eh art style or the controls or the combat or whatever you might be like yeah I don't like this you're going to you're going to find it all a little bit quicker I will say this I think a game like Starfield because of how they've paced it I think it's harder for people to do that I think like psychologically they're like I don't really feel like I've gotten anywhere I need to keep going I think it's extremely difficult with Starfield to be like yep two hours on board uninstall I think it's harder for people to do that because they're like I'm just getting started like maybe it's a slow burn you know maybe you know maybe it'll get better once they kind of let me go out into the open I always said that I always said about cyberpunk I always said that about cyberpunk I was like it's taking too long to get going and I've been I have been ridiculed for that ever since I've said it this guy this guy doesn't know video games he's a fraud he only played cyberpunk for five hours it gets better after five hours and I was like that's ridiculous guess what happened phantom liberty walked in the room and said (laughs) okay 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 you can just jump to phantom liberty and get right into it the first two hours of phantom liberty are immaculately paced it's brilliant the writing the combat the setup all of it it's wonderful it is exactly how you start a game and people it's an rpg it takes a while to get going shh Stop it. You can have a great two-hour open, and then you can start the slow burn. Because now you've got me. You've given me a taste. I'm like, yo, this game's kind of hot. Because Phantom Liberty immediately slows down after the two-hour open. It immediately slows down. Everything slows down. You got to go talk to people. You're having conversations. You're having dialogue. You're walking around a town. It's not this go, go, go. And I think that's a lesson to learn. Phantom Liberty's pacing is like, that's exactly how you do it. Because once my brain says, this game is great, I want to keep playing, I have more of a tolerance now of like, oh, hey, they're teaching me how to do this thing and it's kind of slow. That's okay. It's adding to what I'm already enjoying. This like slow, like we're pulling you along. It's going to get better. It's like, I don't know if it's going to get better. It's taken too long to get there. I can't see the forest for the trees because you keep making me look at one tree and then another tree and then another tree. And the beginning of Phantom Liberty is like, look at this forest. And I'm like, whoa, this thing's sweet. And they're like, all right, we got to slow down now. Now you got to look at some of these individual trees. Guess what? It's easy for me to look at those individual trees when I know what the forest looks like that they're attached to. This is why game pacing is so important. 
it's extremely important if you can't capture that idea of we've got to get them a view of the forest before we make them look at the trees you're going to lose people and that's why i think starfield for a lot of people they're like i what the frick is going on why is it taking so long what's why is it so slow what's the deal here and a lot of people kept going because they felt like well i'm not really giving the game a fair shake i mean i haven't done much i want to you know, I kind of want to go explore the galaxy. And I think that added fuel to the fires of disappointment. I think by the time the game lets go of you and you do start exploring the galaxy, you're like, I don't know about this, man. There's a lot of loading screens. This, This really isn't hitting. That doesn't mean they're right. That just means they were almost set up for failure at that point because it just took too long. All facts, Lono says, Doc. Uh, I agree. I'm making a video about this right now. I like this topic. Let's see how many fools out there spend precious hours doing things they don't like for fun. Uh, that is how we play. I want to push back a little bit on what you're saying, Doc. And here, and here's what I'm going to say. I think games like Starfield are different because the content loop and and the and the trajectory of the game is so much more long tail you don't get certain payoffs of certain things for like a really long time. Now, take that and shrink that down. What would you say is like the smallest content loop of a game that you can experience and know, I'm going to vibe with this game? I would argue it's probably a fighting game. When you play a fighting game, an hour to an hour and a half in, you have experienced essentially the entirety of the content loop. That's, that's it. That's what you're going to do. You're going to fight people. You've tried a bunch of different characters. You've gone through tutorials. You've tried a bunch of different moves and blocks and combos. That That is a much more like contained content loop. The content loop of a game like Starfield, it's just more difficult, I think, for a person to deduce in the first couple of hours. So they're going to keep going. And especially like the review that we looked at, someone who has played Oblivion and New Vegas and Skyrim, they are not going to come to the conclusion, oh, this is bad right away. Why? Because they know some of these games are a slow burn. Some of these games start hitting once I've got certain skills and and once I'm in the, the 15th or the 20th hour. Now, this guy went the distance, you know, 200 some odd hours. But again, he's the type of player that is absolutely going to give the game a fair shake. And again, my pushback is he did not say, I played the game for 200 hours and I hated every minute of it. He said, I played a game for 250 hours. There was good that I enjoyed. There was bad that I did not enjoy. And fundamentally, when I add it all up, I can't recommend the game. There's more bad than good. I think that's fair. I don't think he's saying, I played a crappy game for 300 hours. He's saying, I played a game that isn't good enough for me to recommend. The the, the good that's here, he doesn't think is redeeming enough. I think that's such a fair way to treat a game and to dismiss it as if he's somehow dumb for playing that amount of time I think is really unfair to just that what he did like the time he took and he's not alone there are so many guys on Steam that have played the game for just tons and tons of hours and they write these lengthy breakdowns and it's never I don't know how I was deluded enough to play a crappy game for 250 hours it's there's good 
There's bad. I can't recommend this game. There's not enough good here. K.Cole with a $5 super chat tip. I'll say it again. Steam has a two-hour refund policy for a reason. I think the two-hour refund policy is harder to take advantage of with, with Starfield. Because I think two hours in, you can definitely have this sense of, yeah, it might get a little bit better. Yeah. It might improve. Like, I think it's hard. I do. I think the first two hours of Starfield are a very, very slow, you know, slow buildup. I wonder how long Lono can argue with himself for. How am I arguing with myself? What if I said that is a is an argument with myself? I've maintained a lot of these positions and everything I'm saying since before and after Starfield came out. It would be fair to not recommend it if he didn't rate it 5 out of 10. That just seems weird. Right, but everybody's scoring system is different, Austin. He's not IGN. He's not He's not VGC or some gaming outlet. He stacked up the points and he said, this is how many good points I give it. This is how many bad points I get it, give it. That's why it lands at a 5 out of 10. Do you see? He's not, he's not a review outlet. His 5 out of 10 is not the same as, as some of these review outlets. His was literally... These are the, these are the good, these are the bad. That makes it land in a pretty mid not so great score, so I can't recommend it. You see, I like I, you're you can't come at him like he's like he's, you know, uh, you know, Eurogamer or Game Informer. He's a guy on Steam that said, you know, he literally, I mean it was a very organized review. It was actually quite good. It was very good. It was like, oh yeah, he's got everything broken into categories. Here's all the good. Here's all the bad. Here's his conclusion. Okay. GameSpot or Game Rant have it a hundred. Well, they do it out of a hundred. Or oh, you saying they gave it a hundred? Well, when it comes to game reviews, I think there's a larger, um, I think there's a larger discussion going on. Um, fair. I'm gonna still make the video though. I feel it's gonna be a huge hit. I'm gonna uh, take some some shots at Sony. That always works for me. I mean, just don't put Sony in the title, you know, Doc. You know, Jay Barry gonna come after you if you do. <laughs> hey, I expect a really nice shout out in this video. Okay, all right. And tell him, tell him, Doc. Tell him I'm not a pony. These guys think I'm a pony. It's so freaking annoying. Can't believe this guy still claims he's not a pony. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> the thing going on with game reviews, though. Here, here's, here's what I feel like is going on with game reviews. There's like multiple conversations that are going on with game reviews. In, in my mind, okay, there is a conversation about the review outlets themselves, right? And I think that conversation is completely separate than the conversation that we've been having. We've been having a conversation about whether or not, you know, people will play a game at length and then actually then give it a non-recommend. Like, why would somebody do that? That's been an ongoing conversation this, this morning, and it's been really, really enjoyable. 
I, you know, Doc made his points. I made my points. Some of you guys had counterpoints. I thought that was a great discussion. Nobody got nasty. Those are my favorite discussions. Now, they don't like claiming you, though. It's hilarious. They agree with you, but they don't want to admit it. <laughs> Listen, I'm beholden to no one, so nobody likes claiming me for long. <laughs> They're like, man, I really like that guy. And then I'm like, yeah, Spider-Man 2's got jank in it, you know? And they're like, ah. <laughs> or I'm like, yeah, I didn't agree with Red Dragon's tweet. I think that's a false frame of the situation. They're like, ah, come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody claims me for a long doc. And I like it that way. I like it that way. So anyways, there's a separate conversation going on. And this, I think, just sort of adds to my confidence in the user score. I am always going to be preaching user score, okay? I love that I love that PlayStation now shows the user score. I love that Xbox shows the user score. I love it. I think that's the greatest resource we have. What does the general public think? I don't give a frick what some review outlet thinks. Because you know what? They have proven this year... That they are not to be trusted. And I mean that. They, the review outlets have proven this year. It's really hard to distinguish who we can trust and who we can't at this point. It really is. The user score is it. Because users are not going to overlook glitches and bugs. Jedi Survivor. These Jedi Survivor placards that I see. It's one of my favorite games this year. And I see those those placards. It's like 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. I'm like, what the? F- it doesn't deserve that. That game launched and it was terrible. Look at the user score. That's one of my favorite games this year. And I will consistently be like, ah, 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 come back over here, Jedi Survivor. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you get hit with the bat at least once a day. All right, go back out there and play. You you don't get a pass, Jedi Survivor. You don't. Redfall proved to us that there are many outlets and content creators that are not to be trusted. Not to be trusted. We we've we've heard this year that Microsoft implements astroturfing strategies with certain podcasts. Like they warn them, hey, bad news is coming. Get ready. You can kind of soften the blow. We've learned that this year. We've learned this year that outlets can be handpicked to pad the review score the opening weekend and then it just falls after that we've learned that this year so there's this sort of undercurrent of of skepticism and cynicism and i would even say there is there's there's malice people are angry there's ire it's like Y'all are lying to us. Y'all aren't telling the truth. And because of that, I would say going forward, the Metacritic scores and the review outlets, okay, great. I think that's an indicator of what's going to be in the game of the year running. Why? Because those are the people that vote on game of the year running. Does that make sense? So when I'm like, Oh yeah, man! Look at the Metacritic scores. That those games are definitely headed to being uh, d- to being Game of the Year nominations. What am I saying? Well, these are the people that vote in Game of the Year. This is where the scores are landing. 
Therefore, it makes perfectly good sense that Metacritic review scores from the outlets are a big indicator of what ends up getting Game of the Year. That doesn't mean that I'm saying those review outlets and the Metacritic score, they matter the most. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's an indicator of what's probably headed for Game of the Year. When I talk to the user and I talk to the general public and I'm like, listen, if you want to know a game is good or not, check the user score. Check the user score. Our super chat's turned off. I can't even get to the payment screen. You might need to refresh. I, I have not turned super chats off. We've gotten some today already. And we are, just so y'all know, what this is here in the corner, every 25 members, I gift five back as a way to pay it forward. I gift tons of members every month to say thank you and to get more people in. We're currently three away from me having to do that. And we're about 300 members away from the next big milestone. You guys unlocked Fright Night. Alan Wake 2 is getting great scores this Friday night. Members will be able to hang out with me and my wife for a Friday night stream. It'll be the first of two Fright Nights where we're going to play a scary game. Next week, we're going to play the game where if you scream, you die. And then you can get a third Fright Night. If you guys can hit the next big you know, 2750 goal, we'll do a third Fright Night and we'll do a community game night. So there's a lot to earn there. Um, responding to a few points from the monologue. Fans wanted co-op, not an MMORPG. I think that's probably fair pushback, right? I, you know, they, but but they internalize it as they want multiplayer, right? Blink. Zach Johnson gifts a member and takes us to twenty three. Thank you so much, Zach Johnson, for doing that. Like th- that's fine. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I would probably agree with you. I just wanted to play Skyrim with my buddy. I didn't necessarily want an MMO. Big Lido with seven months. Welcome back. DK Beggar, the king of single gifteds, comes in and takes us to 24 members out of 25. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's a fair response to the opening monologue. I was just relaying to you what the man said. I wasn't saying that they did the right thing. I was saying... The community was pushing for multiplayer, and that's what they gave us. Data science agrees with you, Lono. It is statistically proven that user scores mean more than scrutiny scores. Uh, Schizoflink says, Starfield's New Game Plus allows you to reset the world with the same PC, so they could have had hard choices, consequences, and the player could use the same PC to experience the entire game. I, I say that at some point in this episode, Schizoflink. Cardock Ren brings it home. 25 out of 25. There it is. I now owe you guys five members, and I will do that in a premiere. Yes, I have a premiere today talking about the fact that hold on to your hats. You need the internet if you buy a console and want to set it up. It was hard to say that. I know that's shocking. I hope you all were sitting down when I delivered that news. DK Beggar, the agent of chaos, takes us to 26 and then 31 members on the day because a five bomb from Alex rolls it over to the next milestone. I have to gift another five of you guys. Get it to 50. Thank you so much. I will gift the members that I owe you guys when we go over 
to the premiere about that scenario. And thank you, Cardock, for hitting 33 months of memberships and doing a VIP. Welcome back. <laughs> Absolutely groundbreaking discoveries. It's crazy. <laughs> Don't eat bad. Herder. Like that's the that's the headline. <laughs> Somebody was like, so it's okay for Sony to do it, but not Xbox? I was like, no, I didn't I didn't say that at all. I was like, everybody's doing this. What's the problem? This is an industry standard. What what's the issue here? <laughs> so it's bad for Xbox to do it? I was like, I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> I said I said, look, both of them are doing it. This is standard. It's not unusual. You know? This is weird. This is weird times that we're living in. This is weird weird times. Can you believe it? I went to the store and I bought a television and did you know what I needed? I needed electricity. Can you believe that? I don't. Why? Why would you expect me? Why would you expect me to have electricity? It's awfully presumptuous. Like, what if I live in a tent? <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> Can you believe it, Chad? <laughs> Has a removable disk drive? No, when you first set it up, though, you need the internet. It literally says it on their website. Like you can't complete the setup without it. I'll show it to you in the premiere. Don't worry. I got it all covered. I got it all covered. We got legalities. We got laws. We got <laughs> it's great. Five spot from Roro Raven. Video game donkey has a great video on critiques. Everybody should watch. You have to know yourself as a player and know the reviewer as a player. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's why I was telling Doc like his review has value in different ways to different people. Right? Uh, five. Requires. We might drop some frames. Um, it really doesn't like. It really doesn't like me uploading thumbnails all of a sudden. We might drop some frames here. It did it yesterday. It doesn't make any sense. It's such a small file. Okay, we're good. Okay. Five spot. The reason people give that energy is because it's common dig Xbox DRM. Listen, we can discuss this subject of the PlayStation 5 thing in the premiere, and you can also discuss it after as a member. That's an extra piece of content that I do, uh, and you can be a part of that. We will we will do that after the premiere. So every single day I do a live show like this and then I do a premiere. All of that's totally free. I then do a follow-up second stream for members. So I know that there's been criticism about doing members and members content. Um, it comes from people who create a fraction of the content that I do. So I create more members content than some of these people create public content. So if you want extra content, yes, it's five bucks a month and you get a ton of extra content. Everything else is totally free. A two and a half hour live show, Monday through Friday, totally free. A premiere upload, Monday through Friday, totally free. I, 
That is, that's a lot of content every week and every month that costs nothing. And then we do everything else on top of that. So that is something that, yes, we do offer if you would want it and it's optional and it supports the show and it helps me do what I do. This is my full-time, this is my full-time gig. This is what I do full-time and you guys make that possible. What we do is made possible by the members, right? When people are like, this stream is sponsored by, well, my streams and channel are sponsored by you, okay? Instead of, you know, a bunch of brands and stuff that I'm trying to sell you. The coffee's mine, right? And I have sponsors, but these are just nice things to say, hey, you know, you like glasses and t-shirts? Cool. You guys make the show possible. Uh, Okay, that's going to go to the debrief. And then I got stuff for tomorrow at noon. Schedule. You think Bethesda will ever recover? Why are you using the word recover? What do they need to recover from? What happened? <clears throat> Starfield was a big launch for them. It added more people to Game Pass than any other game. I think they earned their keep for a while. That email that got leaked by the FTC said that you know how does it how do these companies prove their worth right impact the game pass would likely be how they would do it and i believe they kind of earned their keep for a while if they had the single greatest influx of game pass users because of starfield i would say xbox looks at that and says okay let's let them do something let's let them do another one let's let them do another one I don't think they have to recover from anything. What are you talking about? Now, that won't get clipped and put on Twitter. Poor game design. We talked about that in the beginning of the episode. I don't think it's like a cheap shot or hate to say that I feel they need to switch engines. I think that would benefit them greatly. I think they have great ideas. I think they're I think they're visionaries, but I think they really, really constrain themselves. You know, it's like having a really, really fast runner that understands how to run and you put him in a three legged race like he's only going to be able to run as fast as the dude that you tie him to. Like, like, you know, Bethesda can only do so much working with an engine that I think just continues to show its age, you know? Yeah, we got an Olympian here, and we're going to do a three-legged race. Well, who'd you tie him to? My grandpa. Like, okay, well, you attached him to an older person that's not as fast. That's going to slow him down. That's not ageism. That's natural. And I believe their engine is showing its age. And I believe their vision, their ideas, the scope of what they want to do, they're tied to a dated engine it's an anchor at this point i truly believe that i don't believe perpetual items and being able to pick up everything i don't think it's worth it i think those things at this point are almost gimmicky i believe i mean that now people are like bristling gimmicky yeah i think those things were cool when skyrim came out it's been a long time since that happened We've seen some things. We've done some things. We've had some wild experiences. And being able to fill my ship with potatoes isn't groundbreaking anymore. It isn't. It isn't. 
procedural generation's not even groundbreaking anymore. It's like, yeah, been there, done that. Cool, man. You can use procedural generation. Neat. Like, that's not impressive anymore. Some of that's unfair. Some of that is unfair. Because, you know, tech advance is so fast that people are, like, always expecting better, always expecting more, always expecting improvements. I think Bethesda makes that extremely hard on themselves by using the creation engine. Well, it's, it's, it's an updated creation engine. Okay. I, it doesn't seem that much of an uptick to me. I mean, it definitely seems better, but better than what? Well, it's better than Fallout 4. I mean, is that a ringing endorsement? Like, is that how we, is that how we compare games now? Oh, it's better than, it's better than a game that came out eight, eight years ago. Better, better, better than that. That's not, that's not my measurement. (laughs) I think that's one of the greatest challenges of game development. Is you're not going to be compared to what you did before. You're going to be compared to what's going on right now. And if other people have made bigger leaps than you, if other games are making bigger leaps than you, no one cares that, yeah, man, Starfield is so much better than Fallout 4. Like, if that was the only comparison that we had, it would be different. People are like, oh my gosh, this is just, this is so, this is miles ahead of Fallout 4. But that's not what people are going to do. They're going to compare it to games that are out right now. They're going to be like, look at the space travel in No Man's Sky. What in the world's going on? Look at the inventory systems and the RPG systems in other games. What is? Look at the meaningful decisions I can make in Baldur's Gate 3. What the frick is this with this? Do you see? It's a little unfair, but that's just the way that it is. Thank you, Ica Gang, for a tip. I think Todd should take a break. I think Todd is a visionary. I also think he is a little bit of a dinosaur. I love dinosaurs. They're awesome. But they're old, and they're big, and they're slow moving. Right? Like, you're a visionary, bro. But you gotta adapt. You gotta adapt to the times, man. 30 FPS. You can't get away with that again. I'd argue you didn't even really get away with it this time. And you kinda did. It was a glancing blow, but it, it was a blow to the game's quality. It was a blow to the game's reception, for sure. It was a glancing blow. Next time, it'll be more of a haymaker. You can't take that head on in 2029. We decided, you know, creative decision, Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be 30 FPS on console. That's a haymaker at that point. People will be like, what? They'll be like, what are we doing? What, what do you mean 30 FPS? What are you talking about? But at that point in time, you know, with with advancements in in, in VR, with advancements in cloud gaming, with advancements in the technology, the the engines, and FSR will be better. And you know, we we we, we're going to have a Nintendo Switch apparently with DLSS. You really think as all that advances over the next six years, people are going to be like, yeah, thirty FPS, that's fine. Absolutely not. The trajectory is set. That will be a death knell. That'll be a death knell. You won't survive that. You won't. No chance. It won't be a hand wave. It shouldn't have been a hand wave this time in light of everything we were promised. Well, this console's going to run circles around the PS5 and we're going we're gonna to get 60 as standard and 120 is going to be there in a lot of games. And then you get 30 and they're like, well, 30's fine. It's more cinematic. What the frick happened? <laughs> 
It's like that part in where the, you know in the Joker in the Dark Knight. He asks all these gangsters. He's like, "What happened? Did your balls fall off? It's like, what happened?" And you're not gonna get away with that next time. I don't think so. Now, speaking of things that people don't want you to get away with, people are really upset that the PlayStation Five is gonna require internet connection and I made a video about it because this is really important I'm going to gift 5 members when we get over there thanks so much for hitting 25 members today when this video that we're going to is over you can hang out with us as a member so if you decide to become a member guys on we're on our way out here smash that like button we only need 30 more likes on this video let's get 400 likes on the way out and when you get over to this video smash the like over there as well I will see you over there and then we can hang out afterwards